Welcome back to Making Sense of Money. I'm Nikki Jankola Shanks. Today, we're going to focus on digital literacy. I feel like this has kind of become a buzzword the last few years. So we're going to talk about it. What is it really? What does it mean? How does that, how does digital literacy affect society? Why is this important? And I'm Andrew Pellegrini. Technology is this constantly changing thing, right? And the need to be more and more digitally literate is becoming so critical to be able to spot scams and misinformation and all these different things that impact our lives and our friends. So the actual definition of digital literacy is very broad, but according to the American Library Association, digital literacy is defined as the ability to use information and common technologies to find, evaluate, create, and communicate information requiring both cognitive and technical skills. This creates a very wide spectrum regarding digital literacy as far as skills go. So it encompasses everything from turning on a computer to installing software to evaluating online sources. It's also possible that someone considers themselves digitally literate in one aspect, but not another aspect. So you might be really digitally literate with applications and turning on the computer, but your mobile device, I don't know, it's a black box. It's just very confusing, right? So that might be one aspect, or you might be really good at programming, but not really good at identifying accurate sources online. So there's a, a wide spectrum, there's different things to consider, but for today, we're going to concentrate on the evaluating online resources and the effects that it has financially to individuals and businesses and kind of society as a whole. So I think when people think of digital literacy and the ability to evaluate resources, they, it's like I said, it's kind of become a buzzword. People are like, yeah, I got it, blah, blah, blah. But they don't realize that it can have a financial impact on so many different aspects. So we are going to concentrate on that aspect of when somebody is not digital literate, how that could affect and how it kind of spirals to affect finances in a bigger way. So according to Check, which is a market security company who partnered with the University of Baltimore, they published the economic cost of bad actors on the internet in 2019. And through their work, they found that digital illiteracy is a $78 billion problem. That is a very large number. <laughs> and we're going to kind of break it down a little bit, but Again, I don't think people know about that connection between evaluating online sources and money. So that's what we're focusing on today. The study kind of breaks the costs down into six main categories that we're going to talk about. Stock losses, financial misinformation, public health impact in the U.S., elections, brands, and reputation management. So first up is stock losses. There is a $39 billion loss as a direct result of fake news when it comes to stocks. 
For example, in December of 2017, ABC reported that National Security Advisor Lieutenant General Michael Flynn would testify that Donald Trump had instructed him to contact Russian government officials in the 2016 election. That story was fake, but within 28 minutes, the S&P dropped by 38 points after the news broke, the fake news broke. By the time that the ABC retracted it the next day, $51 billion was lost from just this one incident. A more recent example, on May 25th, 2023, an account tweeted out an image of an explosion near the Pentagon. It read, along with that picture, large explosion near the Pentagon complex in Washington, D.C., initial report. This quickly spread and even made it to a major Indian television network, which also cited reports from a Russian news outlet. Moments after the tweet began circulating, the stock market took a dip. In the span of four minutes, the Dow Jones fell about 80 points. The S&P 500 went from being up 0.2% to dropping to negative 0.15%. So that was not a huge percentage drop, but it is significant within moments, right? Four minutes is not a lot of time. It turned out that this image was completely fake. It was AI generated, but it spread like wildfire and had real financial impact. So the stock market did quickly recover once it was declared fake, but it shows just how fast the lack of digital literacy can affect stock losses. And we said stock market and referred to two different stock exchanges. Remember, stock market is the broader kind of global recognition of stocks, right? And stock exchanges is where you can make transactions. So S&P and Dow Jones are two stock exchanges, which can give you a better idea of the global stock market impact, right? I'm sure that they didn't look at the impacts in global stock exchanges. And I actually remember when this happened because I saw the picture and I was like, oh my God. And then I went and I looked at the picture and then I, I did my research before I shared it which I'm glad I did because it then by that, by the time I saw it, it had already been declared fake, but people were still sharing it because they're still seeing it. Okay. Right. If it's on the internet, it's there for forever. So people are still seeing it and they're still sharing it without doing the follow-up that now this was fake. So this kind of just shows how, especially with AI right now, that all these AI generated images, you being digitally literate and knowing how to evaluate online sources is crucial. Another aspect is financial misinformation. So according to Forbes and research from the Economic Policy Institute, this costs Americans at least $17 billion per year. This could be anything from bad advice online that you're reading to fake savings account, whatever, anything, any type of financial misinformation online is what they're referring to here. And 63% of Americans say that 
this type of financial misinformation has made it difficult to make critical financial decisions. So it's more than half because they're reading these things online, they're seeing things being shared, and they are not sure what's real and what's not. To further complicate matters, research shows that people older than 65 are the demographic that shares the most inaccurate news. And that particular demographic have major financial decisions to make, whether that be retirement or things with their health or whatever it might be. But they are also the most likely to fall victim to financial misinformation. So in addition to financial misinformation, there's about $9 billion in the U.S. each year spent battling misinformation when it comes to public health specifically. So again, this is a reminder that the check study that we are referencing was done before COVID. So it was done in 2019. Just a reminder there. We don't know because it's a lot worse now. There's a lot of evidence that it's worse now. And just to cut in there, Andrea and I actually, but you know, we always talk about the podcast before we record and and everything. And we were talking about I had actually spent time trying to research to see if any of these numbers had really been updated since 2019. And most sources that I could find that are reliable reference this study that we're talking about. And Andrew and I had a great discussion between just the two of us about how those COVID years are going to be, any studies from them are going to be very interesting to look at because that's like a snapshot in time. It's not necessarily a trend. So let's just keep that in mind. Absolutely. So a lot of the information referenced in this report was driven by anti-vaccination information online, either from flu to measles, all kinds of anti-vaccination information. The cost comes from hospital stays and doctor visits and treatment options for those things. So as the, the price of healthcare costs go up, it becomes more expensive to treat diseases that are preventable through vaccinations. What this also means is that there's a trickle-down effect to everyone, including health insurance policy owners. So insurance companies don't necessarily factor in every disease to their costs. So they're now having to pay more for diseases that they didn't think that they had to cover, which is raising costs of premiums for individual consumers like you or me. I'll be honest, that was something that I hadn't really thought of about how that would trickle down to me, right? Um, We do see the health care costs just exploding, and this is just a part of that. Worldwide, $400 million is spent on election misinformation, and half of that, so $200 million, is on the U.S. alone. So worldwide, $400 million is spent battling that misinformation and $200 million just in the U.S. What do we mean when we talk about what costs are associated with this? A lot of this is costs related to fixing misinformation online. Like I said before, things on the internet live forever, but that means that 
if you need to correct some type of misinformation, it is going to cost you money online to do that because you have to make sure that your messages are being bumped up in Google searches, which you have to pay for. You have to, there's just a whole bunch of different ways to try to battle that misinformation. Could be TV commercials, digital ads, anything like that. The report made a point of saying that these were only the direct costs spent on elections that they could like correlate directly to, but indirect costs maybe even more. So when people share stories about companies that aren't true, it often results in costs to the company to manage their reputations, right? Makes sense. Denying that false information takes money. The social media management and analytics market, which includes reputation management as a subset, was estimated to grow to $9.54 billion by 2022 from this check report. Some recent examples of this kind of damage to reputation can include, for example, Nike had to spend money when it was targeted saying Michael Jordan had quit its board, which was false. Samsung was also falsely accused of being sued, and there were impacts for that. A local business saw its revenue drop by half when a fake news site falsely accused the restaurant of serving human meat. And I said local business, but it was a restaurant in Europe. Yes, it was a restaurant in Europe that was a local business. It wasn't a big chain. So it kind of shows it can affect not just the bigger companies like Nike and Samsung, but also if some crazy misinformation about your little mom and pop small business goes viral, it also is going to have an impact. And this story, let me tell you, I read it and it was, it's crazy. I mean, they, somebody tweeted out or shared on Facebook. I can't remember some, something on social media that this restaurant was serving human meat and that they had found nine bodies in the restaurant. Completely false, but understandably this had great impact on this restaurant. I mean, the owners were talking about people were calling and pranking them, asking for human meat. They would make reservations for large parties and then not show up, like trying to mess with their profits. So this one to me, not that I don't feel bad about Nike and things like that, but particularly small businesses, when they're targeted this way, it's enough to put some under. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, to take a a whole business. And obviously it did have an impact because their revenue dropped by half, which is significant. The last kind of example I have in this vein is that Procter & Gamble had to refute that their Tide product was being discontinued. If we all remember the Tide Pod challenge. A moment in history I would like to forget. (laughs) (laughs) So. Why do actors on the internet spread misinformation? Bad actors. Why do they do this? Sometimes it honestly comes down to money. Research shows that $235 million in revenue is generated annually from ads running on these fake 
websites that are just filled with this information. There are, is also evidence that big, well-known brands are being advertised alongside fake ads. So for example, in this report, it, it talks about how, I can't remember which large trusted company, a big company was being run on a website right next to an ad that was selling a cure for cancer. Clearly that was wrong and fake, right? There's unfortunately no cure for cancer right now. So it not only hurts the actual reputation of that company being run alongside something that's clearly not true, but that also means that website is getting, or whoever's making this is getting ad money from both of these ads. So this is kind of one of those things where the bad actors are making money and then companies have to spend more money to fix their image if they are somehow associated next to these fake ads. I think we've illustrated some the numerous financial impacts that misinformation on the internet can cause. It's essential for our all of us to become digitally literate and improve our digital literacy skills. So we're going to go over some quick strategies that you can use when evaluating online sources. So when it comes to URLs specifically, that's the website that you go to in your browser, right? It starts typically with HTTP. Hopefully there's an S in there. So it stands for secure. One thing to really pay attention to is that real news sites or news sources typically have short and clear websites that you can identify. Make sure that there are no random endings, numbers, misspelled words, etc. in the URL specifically. So if you're trying to go to NBC.com, you don't want it to say NBE.com right? They can look kind of similar. You want to look for those misspellings. You also want to look to see who created the website as well. So another strategy is to look at who wrote what you are reading, whether that's on a website, on social media, whatever it might be, a meme, whatever. Search the organization or individual who posted it And then also see if you can kind of backtrack it to the original poster. This will help determine, okay, where did this come from? And is this, if it's from a particular organization, is this organization known for misinformation of one kind or another? And on websites, it's also important to read the about us section on a website if they have it or whatever they may call it, our story or whatever. This is really important because there are a lot of websites out there that are satire, that are meant to be funny. And people don't realize it by just looking at headlines and looking at the website. So you really need to look carefully at those types of sections. So you know who's posting, who wrote this, what are they doing with this information? Even people I know, the Babylon Bee is a satire account, but I have been forwarded articles by them. And I have to tell people that I know, like, 
you guys know that this is supposed to be a joke, right? Like this is this website. So it happens, but that's why it's important to pay attention to that section of a website. When reading anything on the internet, you want to make sure to identify what the purpose is. Think fact versus opinion. You always want to read past the headlines. A lot of headlines are used for clickbait and the article itself explains more, right? I've noticed an increase in article titles being vastly different than what the article actually says because they're looking for that clickbait. I usually have to be a fact checker and and read past the headlines for some of the people in my life that like to share clickbaity articles with me. Some of these articles even been medical publications that kind of had an innocuous title, but the person that was sending it to me perceived it as aligning with something that they already thought. And so they were like saying, this is justification for whatever their thought was. And I just read the abstract and I was like, okay, well, the abstract says this study didn't find any difference between the groups. So I, nope. I do think in today's very fast paced information at your fingertips, I think people have gotten out of the habit of reading the entire article, whatever it is, authors and websites and people who are trying to generate income off of websites know that. And so they're going to kind of pick the more provocative title to hopefully get you to click on it. And that's even legit news sources, or like you said, that medical publication, they're also competing for that attention. So they have to kind of have an edgier title to hopefully get people to read it, but then you have to read it. Well, and we as humans are susceptible to confirmation bias. We want to look for things that confirm our current beliefs, that we don't like to change our beliefs. So anything that challenges our beliefs, we're like, we're going to reject that. So like the medical article that I talked about, it was actually a pretty innocuous title, but the way it was phrased, you could perceive it a couple different ways. But that's just another example of why we need to check our own confirmation bias issues before sharing misinformation, potentially. I used to be a middle school English language arts teacher. And when we focused and I was teaching writing, I always told my middle school students to show me the support for the argument they were trying to make in their paper. So whether that was nonfiction writing, persuasive writing, whatever it was, I was like, all right, if you're going to put this in your paper, show me the proof. Where, Where is it? Back it up. And that is the same thing for the internet. So look and see if something's making a claim, like a meme or an article, can you find that same claim by other news organizations or a nonprofit or a university, whatever it might be? Is it something that is backed up by multiple people as opposed to just someone's opinion, right? So prove it. The same thing is when you're you're reading an article, do they reference any sort of known experts in the field that they're talking about? Or is there any sort of studies that are talked about or or anything like that that you can point to to try to be like, okay, this is true. This article, I could follow where they're getting their argument from, from these sources, these people, et cetera. 
So prove it. One thing that I like to do is I like to look at three separate articles before I share a news article. I like to look at three different things on the same topic to make sure that I'm not sharing fake news. It slows me down. So I'm not helping to spread misinformation. And it's also to helpful to look for the original source, like Nikki said a couple times, for lots of different things, like even sharing art on social media. I'm I'm big in into art. And so if there's a fan account, for example, sharing an artist and they say artist unknown, it usually doesn't take that much effort to find who the actual artist is. And so the same goes for other citable sources. Another thing to really think about is verifying images and statistics. I just talked about art and one way to verify that you're sharing the actual artist's art, right? You can also do reverse image searches to see where that image originated from. When using statistics, you also want to see if the image or site links to the study. Does it name where the information comes from, their source data, that kind of stuff. You can also be critical of data visualizations or graphics that are being used because it's really easy to use a data set and skew the data just by how it's presented graphically in many ways. That is something that I teach all my data analyst students and interns about is how if they change their Y values, it can skew data if they're comparing two different data sources, right? That's something that's much harder to do, but thinking about it might slow you down before sharing a graphic that or a data visualization that is kind of manipulative. I knew that Andrea was the best person to talk about this with all the data that she has to, to do with her students. And the last deal with a lot of data. Yeah. And the last thing we want to point out is to always check the date of whatever you are sharing. So you need to make sure that, as I've now said, I don't know, four times, Everything on the internet lives forever. And for reasons unbeknownst to all of us, sometimes articles from like 10 years ago resurfaced and people aren't paying attention to the date and they're sharing it as current information. In my world, it often has to do with different laws or proposals. People will share articles like, can you believe they're trying to do this? Or can you, and I'm like, yeah, they tried that already that already failed and it hasn't come up again in like seven years. But for however the algorithm or whatever it might be, people see these old articles and share them as recent. And if you don't have that critical thinking, able to evaluate the source, people are going to assume that it's relevant right now. So checking the date is something that I think at minimum if you could do before you share something is great. As this need for digital literacy grows, we're seeing more and more entities trying to tackle this problem. As of 2019, $78 billion problem. Starting with the 2022-2023 school year, every public high school in Illinois is required to teach media literacy, which is great. Higher education colleges and universities are also adding media literacy to their course catalogs as well. 
I did mention this earlier, but with artificial intelligence on the rise, digital literacy is going to be a life skill that just everyone needs to have. The same way that reading and math, basic reading math skills is important for people to know, digital literacy is going to be that important, I believe, especially as time goes on. So, and if you don't have it, there are significant financial repercussions that can harm individuals and businesses. I hope that we were able to show the connection between how something that you may not think of as a big deal actually can impact wallets. And there are some tools out there that can help you identify misinformation or fake news, and we can put those in the show notes. But we hope that you always think before you post and that you also spread the importance of digital literacy in your own circles with your own friends and family and colleagues. So thank you for joining us today. And as always, feel free to like, subscribe, and share making sense of money everywhere that you can. <laughs>